Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How'd You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Mandy Bynum-McLaughlin, who is CEO and co-founder of the Race Equality Project and CEO of Mandy Bynum Consulting. Hi, Mandy. Lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me, Leila. I appreciate it. So I guess we can start off with a quick introduction and also the answer to the question of the whole podcast, which is how do you do it and why should I care? Yeah. So uh, great question. I ask myself this every day. <laughs> uh, I am uh, the founder of two companies. One is my own consulting company um, and the other is the Race Equality Project. With the Race Equality Project, my co-founder and I um, are on a mission to drive accountability through transparency, through data for the tech industry. Um, And we have been through our own individual experiences and through our connections and community with other um, diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging leaders and, and thought leaders, there was a gap in data collection that was airing on things that are based on sentiment, based on subjective opinions, and also just like not the right tactical data, not the right quantitative data. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we wanted to really dig into the questions that we should be asking around equity and inclusion and specifically access and opportunity at companies specifically for um, structurally excluded racial groups. So Mm -hmm what not only what are the programs that you offer, but how do you market them? And how do you make sure that people who are from excluded groups know about them? And how do you allow people to become eligible for these things? And is that the way in which people are eligible? Does that, you know, have a direct or indirect um, um, impact on, on, you know, what group they're in? So looking into the, the very tactical things that a company can do, but also like how are those tactical things having a, a quantitative and qualitative impact yeah. on the access and opportunity within your company? That's awesome. And uh, my next question is sort of what inspired you to join the sort of DEI uh, sort of field? Because was it one experience or was it a combination of you know experiences? Definitely a combination. Um, Let me see. So when I first started my career, I knew that I was different uh, or my entire life. I did. I went to a very white university, went to Bucknell, which is close to Penn. um, And I played water polo. And the reason I played water polo was because I had too many knee surgeries playing soccer where there were a lot more black and brown people playing. Mm. Um, And I moved to a sport that was highly competitive, much more even intense than soccer. Uh, But I was very much um, as my one coach used to tell me, high profile mm. because not only was I a goalie, so I was like, you know, very visible, but also like I was very much the darkest person on any of the teams. And so that's where I first thought about what it means to be the onlyest person in the room uh, of someone who yeah. looks like you. And I, I noticed, you know, throughout my career that I would excel to leadership or be a very outspoken person in the company Um, because I felt a responsibility with the unearned privilege that I have growing up middle-class family, went to a good school, um, um, you know, don't have like a ton of student debt. And like, how am I using that privilege as opposed to just feeling guilty about it? Mm. Throughout my career, I was always very much driven or I always, you know, 
had this huge weight on my back. Anytime I went into a room of like, it's not just me, I'm representing everyone else and I'm responsible. Um, and so I think being in sales, again, being the onlyest person in the room, I'm often underrepresented. And so are the people who come behind me. And I just saw so many microaggressions and so much bias mm -hmm. that I knew that being coming from sales and moving into something like DEI, I, I come from such a doer mentality yeah. um, that I knew that like I could easily learn the ins and outs of people operations, but also like really drive change. Um, and I knew throughout my entire sales career that me being successful at sales was going to eventually lead me to something else mm -hmm. that was really very sales oriented, but have more impact than just driving revenue. Mm. Um, so that's, that's more or less how I, how I switched over to DEI because I was already doing the work. Yeah. You're doing it more formally. That's awesome. And obviously D and I can't be learned in a book, you know, it's a combination of people's experiences and, you know, it's real life stuff. So I guess what helped you through this transition? What were your best resources? I think um, my best resources were people. Um, mm -hmm. And I think also I um, have a yoga teacher training certificate or I'm educated in, in teaching. So I think that alone helped me really put things in perspective around like, what are the, what is the skill set that I am bringing to this? And, uh, you know, being honest with myself that just because I have the lived experiences of someone who's been marginalized and someone who has been, you know, um, microaggressed doesn't make me expert mm. on any groups that are structurally excluded. Mm. So the skill set I bring though, as a salesperson is like, I get shit done. I kick doors down. I advocate for people and I'm, I love working in a team. And when I say working in a team, I say like going into a meeting and like, I'm going to be in this room. You are not because I'm a leader and you're not yet. So how can I make sure that like we represent you and what you need? Mm. Um, because I, I, I'm not the expert. Um, and also like, that's kind of a, an aggressive way of putting it, but how can I use my ability to project manage? How can I use my ability to, to make connections and like bring other experts in based on what I know the company needs, as opposed to like trying to facilitate everything myself? Mm, very, very important. And it seems like, you know, you, you had that doer mentality and you were very much a go-getter, but are there any lessons that you wish you would have known before sort of in, embarking in the DE&I field? Hmm. I think all of the things that I wish I would have known, I did know. I knew that it was going to be very emotionally taxing. Mm. I was going to, there was a time limit on how much I would be able to physically and mentally take um, when it comes to like being the representative of diversity, equity, inclusion for a company. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and because I, I already had a lot of friends who were in this position who I had worked with and just all of the advice they gave me, I'm like, okay, I know I've seen this. I knew this was coming. I was told this was coming. So I really relied on, on the wisdom of my, of the experience of others. Um, and I, I think I wish I knew that um, in the beginning, it would be a lot of work on myself. Like I had to become, I had to, in, um, develop and make better my own executive presence. Whereas mm. coming as a sales leader, like I could have a particular attitude because everything I needed needed to be done right away because I was driving revenue. Yeah. So you move over to people operations. It's like, we don't really need that. 
So don't be a jackass because it's not gonna work. <laughs> uh, so taking different different tactics in in making things happen and being more strategic, I think was something I I definitely had to work on. Okay, okay. And sort of speaking on learning from lessons and things like that, what would you say is the biggest failure in your career so far? And what what did you learn from it? Hmm. I was trying to think of this yesterday. I think the biggest learning, because failures are just really great lessons, mm. were, I'd say in my early sales career, I spent a lot of time like avoiding what made me different, therefore brilliant. Mm. It was a lot of doing what I was told in the style that I was told to do it, like fitting into this mold. And I just really struggled the whole time. It just did not feel natural. I had a lot of anxiety. I'm like, just, just, this doesn't feel right. Like I'm, I'm doing what I'm told to do in the, in the way in which I'm told to do it, but this isn't what I want to do long-term. And um, I, what ended up happening is uh, sometime down the line, I looked back, looked back and recognized a lot of things that happened um, to me, with me, that just were like, oh my God, that was wildly racist. That was wildly sexist. And what would have happened if I knew, if I had recognized that at the time, mm. or if I had the language at the time to speak up for myself and make a fuss about it? And like, or how would that have totally screwed me over because I spoke up about it? Yeah. You know, so those are the things that I think I, um, I took like some time off and really tried to process all that stuff um, so that I could move on from it, to move on from and forgive myself for not recognizing it at the time. Yeah, that's a really good piece of advice, sort of just recognizing when you should speak out for yourself. But obviously, when you're starting off in your career, it's a bit more daunting, I would say. Absolutely, because you have so much to lose. Exactly, exactly. And sort of speaking about that, what advice would you give somebody who's like, starting off their career, but wanted to start their career in the DE&I space since you had that experience? Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is so broad, mm. so broad. There's so much to do there in every industry. There's something that needs to be done in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I think before, I guess the typical roles you can get into entry level have to do with talent or operations, talent operations. So it's your program manager, you help with events, or you're even an EA to a chief diversity officer. And a lot of the things that you are doing as a DEI leader is very much so project management. It is working on different programs and initiatives. It's managing profit and loss or P&L. It is managing a calendar. It is chasing after a lot of people. Um, and so if those things are not appealing, <laughs> it that part of DEI might not be best for you. Yeah. Said, there are a lot of roles at DEI consulting firms that are open. Um, and so it's thinking about what are the things, what are the tasks and day-to-day things that you don't enjoy. We'll start there. Mm-hmm. That you don't enjoy that you like to avoid because then it's easier to figure out what you do enjoy so that when you have to do, inevitably have to do the things that you don't want to, you at least have a motivation behind it. Mm, very important. And yeah, I think that can be applied to sort of any industry, you know, you're waking up every day, you're going to go to work every day. And it's that passion that drives you to wake up every morning and be excited. Yeah. 
Because either way, you know, I would love to be on a beach in Hawaii, <laughs> just chilling out. Yeah. I, I'm trying to sing the song, but so it made me sense, pronounce Hawaii a really weird way. But uh, yeah, if you got to work, like make sure it's for something that is important to you. Yes, I agree. That can't, always, that can't always happen in your 20s. Exactly. That won't, always, that won't always happen. Yeah. And finally, about your career, what is one common myth that you'd like to debunk about the DE&I space? That we all do out here be doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I not only that, but, like, people who are new to DEI, like, either consulting or whatever, like, they think they can do everything. Like, no, girl, you can't. Mm. Like, if you've never facilitated and you have no facilitation training, like, don't try to facilitate a workshop. Mm. You are going to collapse. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think it's really – and also, you know, there's this thing called whiteness. And a lot of times when in DEI, again, the people who are funding us, the people who are sponsoring, the people who are, you know, giving us jobs are indeed white people, mm. usually, cis-hetero white people. And everything we're doing at the end of the day is for their benefit, and so if we don't have that understanding of like the reality of the situation, we're going to get ourselves in some tough spots doing some things that we really don't want to do for a paycheck mm, for or, sure. you know, a job or a promotion. Mm. And I think it's okay to be doing those things, but understanding again, like why you woke up, why you're doing it, what your, what your ultimate vision is and how you doing this particular thing that you either do or do not want to do is going to get you there. Um, but again, I think that the biggest myth is that, you know, all DEI people do the same thing. Um, and that we don't have our own differences. Mm. Very important message to definitely debunk. And I'm sure you're very busy at the moment, obviously, with your two companies that you co-founded. Um, but what have you read or listened to recently that's really inspired you? Um, there is a book that I've been meaning to read for a long time called the tanning of America. Mm. And I just finished it. Um, I, oh God, I'm really so embarrassed. I don't know the author's name cause he's like kind of a big deal. Um, but I've always, I'm very much like a history. I've majored in political science and English. And so mm. I'm always so interested in like how things got to where they are. Mm. Um, and I've always like loved studying hip hop and the history of hip hop and how it's influenced our entire global culture. Mm. And the Tinning of America talks about all of that and how we got here. And it was just so, so very fascinating. Um, and again, I'd been meaning to read it for a long time. Um, the other book that I read a couple of years ago that really has still has an impact on me is called the um, the decolonization of wealth. Mm. Again, I'm going to butcher the author's name, so I'll have to look it up, but maybe we can reference it later. Uh, and that is really about the nonprofit industrial complex. And again, kind of what I was talking to you about before Layla around, you know, the people who are benefiting are often wealthy, cis-hetero white folks. And it is, we cannot always, um, oh my gosh, dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. Yeah. Um, and so understanding like the power that, that people have who have money and the types of decisions they're making on communities that they have no access or relationship to is extremely risk, extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, and I recommend it to anyone. 
Awesome. Well, I'll definitely make sure to check those two books out. And then what, who are three people who have been the most influential to you in your life? Um, <coughs> my parents, um, because they both, you know, have their own, <coughs> my mom's a white woman engineer. My dad's a black male engineer or was mm-hmm. retired now. And they both dealt with a lot of stuff that they either, and they expressed um, their struggles with that differently. Yeah. And I think looking back, it's really given me a lot of perspective on when I'm running into issues and how my parents dealt with it and how I want to deal with it. Um, so I'll pretend that's one person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll let you group those two together. Yeah. Um, are you saying influence? Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say one of my sales managers who's become a mentor and I'm now his mentor. We just mentor each other all day, every day mm-hmm. is an uh, old sales manager named Ryan O'Neill. He's one of the first bosses I had who like saw all of me mm. and like didn't avoid it and um, encouraged everything that I wanted to do. And I think having that space held for me, like really changed my career um, and lastly, there's a man named Mikey Butler, who was a VP of engineering while I was at New Relic, um, who has since passed away. Um, but the way in which he would go out of his way to mentor, talk to, hold space for other Black folks in the company who were coming up, or anyone, anyone who, uh, of course, was from an excluded um, background and, and just had this, like... Um, this super consistent compassion, empathy, and drive to make people better and connect them and really build on their career. And he really exemplified for me, like what a good mentor is, like what makes a good mentor, what a good mentor does and why it's so important for people like me to pay that forward Yeah. Um, in ways that he did, because it changed, it changed so much for me. That's great. That's great. You were surrounded by such great people who had great influence on you too. So it's such a good support system. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. And then finally, to sort of wrap up our conversation, what is one piece of advice that you wish you gave yourself at any point in your life? Hmm. Maybe skip the keratin and just Mm -hmm. go straight to YouTube and learn how to just embrace those curls Mm. as they change throughout life. You know, Um, that's one. Um to um don't get laser hair removal because they're gonna burn the shit out of your face (laughs) (laughs) important message because they be out here not knowing what to do with dark skin so Mm -hmm. like it's not worth it Mm -hmm. Uh, no but i think uh gosh i mean i knew this in my 20s but i was like i need to start saving money like i need to be better with my money and i wish i had earlier i would have given myself advice to really um spend more time learning about money, what I, the type of money I had, why it was important um, and learning what to do with it. I spent so Mm -hmm. much time being intimidated by it that I wasn't doing anything about it. And I think um, I could have created a lot more opportunities for myself, especially going public with two companies. Like that doesn't often, didn't often happen for people like me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so not necessarily like doing better with money, but just learning about it and being okay mm. with learning about it. Mm. Very important message. And I think that, you know, no matter where you are in your career, that's always a very important message to keep at the back of your mind is 
you know, know what you're doing with your money. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you again so much for hopping on the show today, Mandy. It was lovely to speak to you and hear more about your career and also your aspirations as well. Yeah. Thank you. That was, that was a smooth, smooth, like butter interview. Perfect. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.